Good afternoon, Mavericks. We are back again, and today we have an amazing guest with us, Skip Margot, Vice President of Clinical Excellence. And I also want to give a big thank you to Serenity Engage, who is once again powering our show, because their goal here is to help 50 Colorado senior living communities stay connected with their residents' family, loved ones. And they are going to do that for free for three months. So look at our links, check out the information to find out how you can help your family stay connected during our COVID crisis, pandemic, whatever term you want to use. They're really here to help and a great resource for our, our clinical and our community leaders. And so I'm Francis, your Chief Curiosity Maverick, and I'm here with Catherine Wells, your Chief Inspiration Maverick. Really happy to be here. And Francis and I have some announcements that we'll be making in the uh, hopefully this week, early next. So stay tuned to what we're up to. Skip, it is so great to speak with you today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Pleasure being with you guys. Yeah. And I see that you're at home like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Working so, from home, keeping. Well, we've changed our thinking from social distance to physical distance because there's a lot of social stuff that still has to go on. You know, that's really interesting. You're absolutely right about that. It's about the physical distance. Yeah. 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 And we're um, I, I was talking with a friend this morning. I have a little bit of interesting guilt that it's so easy for people in tech or who are very familiar with tech to almost not skip a beat. We work from home. It's like it just, it's so easy. It's normal sure. for us that it, it makes me want to be able to help people who needs a little more assistance with technology. Yeah. I, I know that part of your role is, um, involves technology. So tell us a little bit about who you are and yeah. what you're doing there at Asbury Communities. Sure. Uh, thank you. I've been with Asbury Communities for about a little over three years now, started with them as an interim overseeing home health, um, left the home health space and, and moved into this role, which is called Vice President of Clinical Excellence, uh, probably about 14, 15 months ago. And I oversee um, what I would say all things clinical. I have um, an opinion <laughs> and um, feedback and I provide support to all things that we do um, for our residents and for our associates from a clinical perspective. So I have a team that works with me. Very, very fortunate and blessed to have um, four people actually, and, and one PRN person or part-time person that works for me that um, are all, all nurses, some in the informatics world, another one in quality, a clinical nurse specialist, and then somebody who oversees the, um, the whole MDS coordination. So as a, as a clinical team, we, we're really integrated into the, the daily care and the work and everything that goes on with Asbury communities, with all of our residents, um, you know, with the new world of PDPM that we've been embraced since last October, um, the changes that we're facing as we speak with this new pandemic. So um, it's, ex it's an exciting time. To, to be in the clinical arena because so much of what's bearing down on us right now is it has such clinical implications. Definitely. And can you tell our audience a little bit about Asbury? How big are you? What sure. tell us just a, give us a good picture of who you are. Absolutely. Um, we're, before I share with you some of the demographics, I wanted to just share something that 
I know is very dear and near to the hearts of all of the leaders at Asbury. And it's, I, I believe it, it, it kind of animates all the work we do. And that's, you know, our, our core mission and values is really to, to do all the good we can uh, for as many people as we can and as often as we can. That's kind of a foundation principle mission. We are a faith-based organization. So we, upon that foundation, we have what we call three pillars. And that's to be a, the provider of choice, the employer of choice, and financial stability or strength. And I'll share a little later how, um, and I hope that you can hear in my presentation or my sharing, those three pillars, you know, the, the being a good provider for our residents, being a good place for our employees and our associates to work, and then also providing a, you know, foundation of, of security and strength through good being a good steward of our resources and our finances, because that positions us to to take good care of our residents, to provide well for our associates. Now, I'll, you'll hear that kind of woven through what I share with you. But Asbury, right now, we have um, we're comprised of eight communities in three different states: two in in Tennessee, four in Pennsylvania, and two in Maryland. So, and you know, we um, each one has different sizes, different. Um, levels of care on the continuum. All of them have what we call, you know, from independent or residential living to assisted living or personal care. And then we have skilled nursing in all those. So okay. great. And you're, your typical CCRC. Okay. And you're headquartered where? Our headquarters is located in Frederick, Maryland, okay. um, which is one of our, it's in Frederick County. And we, we have an interesting name. Um, you'll hear people talk about corporate, but we, we, we want to define ourselves as, a, as the acronym is ASCC, which is Asbury Support and Collaboration Center. Because it, again, it speaks to our posture toward our, our communities that we're not there to kind of trickle down hierarchically and dictate. There are times where we have to tell people, yes, this is the policy, you have to do this, but it's more fundamentally um, the headquarters, if you will, or the epicenter of how we figure out how best to support our communities, the leaders, the associates, and most importantly, the residents. So truly in the 40 years that I've been working in healthcare, it's one of the first times that I've really have seen the, the full acting out of what it means to be in a support a true support role, as well as being in a leadership role. Yeah, and I think that Doug Leidig, your CEO, shared that with us as well, the Asbury Support Communication Center. Yeah. Uh, and we interviewed him on a podcast not too long ago. And sure. I really believe that that is, you guys are leading in this industry, in that area of creating collaboration. He really talked about not only collaboration within your organization, but across all of the organizations, we really need to all come together in senior care and learn from each other because we're all here at the end of the day. Yes, we have to make money in order to be in business, but at the end of the day, we're here to take care of people who need our help right now. Absolutely. And I think your your word that you shared, Kathy, about sharing um, in a collaborative and across the community sort of spirit, that's been a real, um, that's been real close to my heart relative to things as basic as policies and procedures. So you'll hear us talk, pardon me, you'll hear us talk a lot about standardization 
And it's not a matter of, it's not the same as conformity, but it's more of what is the best practice we can we can push out to our communities that's based on evidence, that's based on literature and science. So that again, we, we, we wanna serve in a supportive way to say, how can we get the best literature out to our, our nurses? Are they working with the best tools? Are they, are they practicing at the optimum of, of, their, of their practice? Um, wow. One of the, um, well, actually just to back up briefly, I, I was thinking and made an outline for this presentation and, and I was thinking, came up with really seven different kind of bodies of work or ideas if it's okay to, to share some of those. And Please do. I would say that, you know, communication, early preparation and education, um, surveillance tools, workforce management, managing of risk slash isolation and loneliness, and some business objectives. And I would share those seven objectives, if you will, or points in the context of what we're facing right now, which is a pandemic. This is something that's pressing down on all communities across the country and is causing us all to take a kind of a, a deep dive internally. As you mentioned before in our earlier conversation, what's your passion? You know, what do you what do you go to work for each day? And and what I found was um, communication around this pandemic and this response has got to be framed in really good science, but also balanced with hopefulness. So you, you can't have sort of hopefulness and no science, um, and you can't have science without hopefulness. The two kind of, I, we believe they really intersect well. And um, I know we had talked earlier about hand hygiene, for example. So we, we find ourselves um, going back to the basics with the way we're delivering care. Um, and, and we can talk a little bit about hand hygiene later, but you know, around communication, I could probably list a million bullet points, but I, I looked at a few. And I know Doug, our, our CEO and president, has been a great proponent and really supportive, giving us a lot of latitude to think out of the box. He'll often say, you know, can we move quick? Can we move fast? And be be mindful and thoughtful while we're moving fast. And in and his his thinking is how do we get to that best care delivery model that's possible? If it's if it's something better that we can do out there, let's go for it. And so we've been leveraging technology a lot. Um, around communication, I, I shared with you briefly earlier, relative again to this pandemic, we found that we needed to set up a command center right away. Um, that we, we couldn't, you know, have all sorts of pieces of information coming in. I can tell you, and as I'm sure you've probably heard from others, there is probably thousands of pieces of data coming in a day, emails from all corners of the communities and people that with meaningful and you know loving intent will send lots of emails. Hey, did you see this? Did you hear that? Yes. This governor said this, this town is doing this. And so what we decided was that four of us, we kind of like four musketeers, but it would be um, Sue DeCamera, our chief operating officer, Manny Ocasio, who's our chief compliance and HR officer. Henry Mooring is our senior vice president for health services and post-acute and myself. The four of us have come together, sort of representative of all the other pieces of the organization on some level. And we meet and we talk every single day. We have our own sort of soul command center, but we also at 8.30 a.m. every morning, we have all the executive directors, all the nursing home administrators, all the directors of nursing, 
human resource leaders, infection preventionists, lots of different people come together to so that we can give them the information with one voice rather than getting all disparate pieces of what's the newest thing from the CDC or CMS or whatever. We found it really important to distill that down, to provide that information, but also to kind of go round robin and hear from each one to really what is going on in your world? How can we support you? So you really mobilized your teams, regardless of where they are geographically, you've mobilized them to an eight, to attend an 830 stand-up meeting. Every yeah, day. All virtual. Yeah, yeah so. all virtual. And mm -hmm. that way everybody gets the same information and is yep. able to disseminate that and, and bring forward any concerns that they have. So everybody yeah. learns. That's and I have a quick question on that. For companies that are like, oh, I don't know if I can do an 830, you know, everyday meeting. How long are these meetings lasting? You know, is this something that is feasible for people to be sure. able to implement? No, great question, Francis. We, we've had to um, kind of, uh, we, we started out with a half hour. Okay. And as, as with most meetings, there's some little drift or creep into maybe 40 minutes. So now we're, okay. we're, we're trying to package it with, um, the the burden is on the people that attend to do their homework. So you have to come prepared. It's mm. not a place where you want to free associate and think of new ideas. We can do that offline. And so what I recommend to the team, as Henry does, is we'll say, okay, great idea. Let's put that on the parking lot. So I'll okay. jot it down and maybe go back to that associate or leader later on and say, let's unpack that a little bit. But that meeting, to your point, should be sort of what's what's on your mind and heart today? What's putting your community at risk today? If, if you're good, like a lot of the leaders will say, I'm good today, things are working well. Got Next, okay. and we go to the next one. Otherwise, in this kind of event, you could spend six hours having a having a stand-up. So that but that's a great question because we find that by keeping it compact, it does drive people to think what's top of mind, what's most important. And and, to, and again, we ask them to come prepared. You have to share what 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 they what they need from the support center, how we can serve them, and also what they can share that will lift up and and edify the people on the call with them. Makes sense. And I want to go back real quick to touch on before we move on to that early prep. Is you mentioned technology? Is there any any one or two systems that you're using that really stands out that our viewers might like to know what you guys are using? Because like I said. Sure. You're one of the first companies I've heard of to set up a command center. So I, I you know, really, am, yeah. it's really cool what you're doing. Absolutely. I know, um, I know, speaking of Doug again, it's really near and dear to his, his leadership and his heart around this. And that's to really leverage technology, to keep pushing mm -hmm. us into the next century, if you will, with, with, with whether it's uh, stuff relative to falls or telehealth or whatever it is, but we have some good tools. I mean, basic tools, but we have an app, it's called the Ready app. And so on any, anyone's phone, you can download this app. I can ping you um, or I can ping everybody in the organization that has a cell phone. You'll get a, you'll actually get a chirp. And on that app, there's a whole inventory of things. You, we, we can put um, wayfinding data on there so that if you're looking for a policy, you can find that. But it's, it's really, um, if we if a new policy is being lifted up or there's an event that everyone needs to know about we're 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 working toward full adoption we're not there yeah. yet but the, yeah. the goal is to have everyone that has a cell phone have a ready app that's that's designated to asbury 
So huh. that, so and we're using that now. That's um, cool. Other, That's cool. Yeah, other sources of um, technology has been a real strong source for us. Has been um, our IT team has partnered really well with myself and other clinical leaders mm -hmm. to use our in our, our I guess we would call it our internal portal, which is ShareLink. And yeah. on there, we actually created toolkits. So you can today, you can go to ShareLink on your desktop, hit a toolkit that says COVID-19, and it's got a plethora of articles. Our clinical nurse specialist is constantly uploading articles. We're putting graphics there. We're putting algorithms. So um, there's, there's no shortage of information. <laughs> That's Which great. To, to an important point in that um, one of the reasons you know, with we wanted to streamline information and sort of package data for people is that you can you in the in a pandemic event you have to be mindful to not go on over information overload. Mm -hmm. And I share that with you from the context for years, many years ago, I worked for a long time in the ICU. And you know how in the intensive care you, you have lots of bells and whistles going off. Mm -hmm. And we used to over time begin to, and the literature started to even speak to this, it was called alarm fatigue. So you get so used to all of this confluence of noise that you're like, oh my gosh, was that a, a lethal alarm going off or was that oh, a yeah. bell? So we found it was really important to take all of this, streamline it down, both in terms of funneling the information, digesting it, making sure it's sound with, with the clinical people, and then pushing it out to the communities for their use and digestion, if you will. We also found it important in our communication to residents and families to have, again, have the leaders come together and say, here's how we want to communicate Asbury's um, care and, 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 and what we're doing in this pandemic to our residents. Like we have independent residents that are physicians, that are scientists. Well, they, they don't want just a, hi, we're taking good care of you. No, they want specificity. Right. Right? So <laughs> it's important that we, we funnel that to the right people and that it's not coming from 12 different places, but that it's coming, you know, what I would call a singular voice. That's really important, and I agree with you that we can inundate people. It's happening, exactly. and in the challenge, it's so important to have clarity and to have one voice that's rooted, like I had said earlier, kind of in hopefulness, but in good science. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, and that probably leads right into your next topic, which was early preparedness and education. Yeah. Oh, this is this is probably one of my favorite topics. Um, again. Um, Doug and myself and Martha, our clinical nurse specialist, we just had sort of a hallway conversation about something that Martha and I did years ago when we worked together in another setting, and we called it rapid cycle management change. You can call it all kinds of things, Six Sigma, you know, all the all the change theories can be amalgamated into one thing, and that's right. in the way, get it out of the way, and get to the solution. So um, we were, in an odd way, fortunate back in December around Christmas, one of our communities had an outbreak of neurovirus, which was very impactful. 20 something associates got it, 20 or 30 residents got it. Wow. So we, we could not take time to say, well, let's think about what we wanna to do to solve this. We had to get to the literature, get to the science and immediately drive toward a solution for kind of you know tamping down, like you're hearing now about 
um, limiting the curve or you know tamping down the curve of COVID. We had to do that with neurovirus. So what we did was, again, using the technology we had, we built an algorithm. We literally, in one of our rooms, we have a lot of really cool rooms in our our support center where it has you know the kind of walls that you can write on and erase oh, cool. them. Yeah. So Martha and I were in a room and we virtually wrote out two algorithms. One for if there's one resident that shows symptoms and another one would be if there's just two or more and we call that an outbreak. And so we, we, we set up an algorithm with very specific interventions that were designed to isolate and lock down the spread of a contagion. And that has served us really well. We, in fact, about two months after we, we deployed that at one of our communities, um, we had what we were considering because there were two residents, an outbreak of flu. They deployed the, the algorithm beautifully. No other residents, no other associates contracted the flu. Wow. Which you know, memory care unit, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. And you know, so, so we're finding that moving to a solution requires certain alacrity or speed you can't you know you, you can't have long drawn out processes anymore not that you want to do something hasty or sloppy but in the world we live in we've got to move with you know like Velocity. it's to yeah. our, our chief operating officer often says why not or what what's the if you know and she drives against that to say why not like ask yourself why can't we get there you know and in rapid cycle change management you you look at barriers and you say, we, we, we can get past that barrier. We can extinguish that. And we kind of did that, you know, with, with the uh, neurovirus. And like I said, that really served, served us really well. It also required that we provided the right level of education. Because, again, you can't just take an algorithm and say, here you go, follow it, sort of like as a recipe. Right. So um, one of the beauties of the technology we have is that I, I work closely, like I share with you, with an IT Team and one of the fellows was great. He stepped right up to the plate and he put it right up on our portal. We created a tab that says, um, it's very easy to find. It just says communicable disease outbreak algorithm. You click the tab and there it goes <laughs> right there. So, and it's downloadable. It's It's got red and yellow and all kinds of highlights and arrows, kind of like a Visio chart. So it's very easy to reproduce and print. And with that, we, we create a signage. We had to create signage that said, if you think you are you know, feeling these symptoms, whatever, at the time for neuro, please do not visit. So we were probably, I want to say, three or four months ahead of COVID just by deploying that, that algorithm on the, on the heels of, of a challenge. You know, and that, so that, that, that speaks to your preparedness. Yeah, that, that yeah. you were ready for this. Even you were ready for the norovirus. So you were ready for the flu. You were ready for the typical things that we see. And that allowed you to exercise it a little bit before we had the big outbreak with COVID-19. That, that's pretty amazing. And, and you know, I think, as I mentioned before, I, I think we talked a little bit before about culture. I think the culture that our senior leaders have set at, Al at Asbury has allowed us the latitude to think out of the box and to push against the boundaries, not to say, well, that's not going to work or don't go too fast. It's like, go for it. You know, it, they, there, there's a common theme that we have, and I, I promulgate this with my team as well, and that's all ideas are valid. They might not work, but as long as they're not dangerous and crazy expensive, let's try them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, let's, let's push against 
what was the old way of doing business to see if we can get to a new solution. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that, that's also a really good segue to your next topic because sure. so many people are afraid of surveillance tools mm -hmm. and see them as a big risk. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about what you're doing. Sure, happy to. Um, just one other thing relative to the education, it ties into surveillance tools as well. Back in October, or I'm actually earlier than October, we started working on this. Back in November, November 28th, there was a requirement from CMS that all communities would meet that phase three requirement for infection preventionists. Mm -hmm. And so we, we took that very seriously because we saw this as something that's not going to go away. And it was obviously a non-negotiable from CMS in terms right. of conditions of participation. So we said, let's go after that with rigor. So we created, in addition to hiring you know, infection preventionists, having them in all of our communities, our clinical nurse specialists, I referenced before Martha, actually took it one step further and created what we call infection control council. And she does a regular stand-up meeting with the infection preventionists. She started doing that in the early part of the year, right after Christmas, actually. And again, we were very blessed and very fortunate that we got a big jump start. So now that language and that rigor around infection control, it's, we're, not, we're not learning it for the first time. We're, we're, we're putting it in motion now with COVID. Um, and so on the heels of that work, we created, as I mentioned, um, surveillance tools. And they're relatively primitive tools. They, they have five or six questions. We set one up for visitors, one for associates. And we started out communicating that the tools would be a living kind of instrument, meaning that as the virus evolves, they might become more rigid or they might become less rigid or, or not, not loose in, a, in an unsafe way, but we might have to modify them based on staffing shortages, et cetera. So the tools started out with questions, you know, have you traveled to a foreign country? Initially, remember when this all hit, it was really four countries. If you went to those, you couldn't come to work, but right. the rest of the world, you were fine. Well, now it's 148 countries. So <laughs> as you can imagine, we've had to modify that tool. But the tool has served us very well. We've been able to capture people that have come to the gate to come to work. We, we narrowed it down to one point of entry for each of our communities. You have to come to one screening place. We, we kind of, when I say lockdown, it's, it sounds harsh, but it's, 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 it's really to capture more than anything good data. And so we, we ask questions, you know, have you been with anyone that you know has traveled? We took all the CDC data and we stuck with it and maybe amplified it just a touch in a more rigorous direction. So for example, um, we're, we're saying to people because the incubation phase of this virus is 14 days, if you were with somebody that you think was exposed, was on a flight of five hours or more, was, um, you know, had respiratory symptoms, we're presumptively treating you as if you were exposed. So when you come to work, we're telling you, thank you very much, but you have to go home and self-quarantine for 14 days. And we really believe now that we're seeing more and more science come forward to support that even more. We kind of went forward with more rigor than needed at first, but now it's catching up with us in a, in a way to say, yeah, the right thing is to keep people away. Again, because of the vulnerability of our residents. You know, if yes. you're coming to work in a department store, we'd have a, maybe a different posture. 
But because they're yeah. coming to the most vulnerable people, we've applied real rigor around that. And, 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 and we're really pleased that majority, I would say the vast majority of residents, even those in residential living who have a much higher um, level of independence and like to reassure you that they're independent, they've really been happy about this. They've given us a lot of good feedback of, of feeling safe and That's appreciating right. the rigor we put into it. That is what you're doing. You're creating yeah. that that safety, the safe space for everybody in your communities. And let me ask you a question. You're screening your employees, and we've heard stories, of course, that mm -hmm. there are employees who will lie uh, because they want to come to work. They can't afford yeah. not to be working. They they do this because they love people, not mm -hmm. for the money. We all know that. Yeah. And and so they're willing to sacrifice themselves without considering all the time the impact on other people. It sounds to me like you guys have built a culture where it's okay for people to, to be honest and stay home and that you probably take care of them is my guess. Can you speak we, to that we a little do, bit? We're very fortunate. Our, our, um, I mentioned before Manny Acasio, who's our, our senior officer for human resources and compliance, has has taken a very um, very carefully taken a, a very compassionate posture toward toward that and has promulgated that across the organization that the, that this is not a time to punish someone for having to stay home because they've gotten exposed or their children are sick or something like that. So we've adopted that whole you know s sick and safe posture toward our associates, which is really important because we know that. On the back end, that's going to serve us well with retention. When your when your associates feel affirmed and loved, and you're doing the right thing, um, and and again, no instrument's going to solve for integrity. So we have to trust when somebody comes and says, "I've not been near anybody, and they have no fever." We have high confidence that most of our associates are telling us the truth. But you know, we, we again, we, we're very careful, even those who rule out for the questions associated with you know, being in the proximity or traveling or being on a cruise, with all that being a no, if they still have a fever, we, we ask them to go home, call their, their medical provider, get more information. We're just, we're just being super, super careful. Yeah, well, and so much of that is based in the culture of trust that you have, so. Well, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good point. All so right. With going into now the next section here that we want to dive into is we're hearing a lot about the PPE or that personal protective equipment. Uh, we talked before the show started. You guys have been pretty creative on how you've been trying to you know, make sure you have the right equipment for your team. Could you tell us a little bit more about how that's working for you? Some of the tips maybe other you know communities would would love to learn. Sure. We're very fortunate that, um, and again, the timing has been amazing for us that um, so quite a few months ago, several, maybe four or five, six months ago, we had a gentleman join our team who's a supply chain manager and um, Jeremy, and he is outstanding with being, um, I guess I would, I would call it persistent in exploring every avenue um, talking to all of our stakeholders, talking to all of the vendors, you know, again, following the good science and the literature, going outside of the the normal swim lanes of just medical stuff, mm -hmm. 
even reaching out to companies that make industrial equipment. Um, so we're looking at every option that we can. We've even had people offer, and we're looking at the efficacy of it and wanting to understand how we can apply it. But we do have people that are offering to sew and to make. Oh, wow. Masks. So there might be a space, so to speak, in the continuum of care where that's appropriate, where it's just an extra layer of protection, and we know the person doesn't you know have COVID nineteen right so we're, we're we're not leaving a stone unturned we're looking at every every sector of the industry um, we're tapping into our service providers that provide you know our food and housekeeping to ask them do they know anybody that knows anybody that knows anybody right yeah um, so it's it's been kind of um, it's given new meaning to supply chain the chain's gotten very long yes. yeah. <laughs> The, the the other side of the PPE that I think is worth mentioning was um, we're also from a clinical perspective helping our associates understand when it's appropriate and when it's inappropriate because you know, right now the CDC is saying all the people that we run into in Sam's Club or Costco that's wearing a mask unless they are sick they're really not protecting themselves because right. the virus isn't just shed in the air, it's on hard surfaces, it's all over, right? So we're, we're careful to not burn through our PPE. So myself and uh, reference Martha, our clinical nurse specialist, has actually done a lot of tutorials and we call them job aids. And again, the beauty of the technology that we have, we post those and then we send out a note or something on the app to say, hey, check the ShareLink portal. It's got a new job aid or tutorial on how to what we call donning and doffing. Um, oh, okay. personal protective equipment. And it, it, embedded in that process, it's, it, it also is information about when not to use it and when to use it. Like, for example, screeners, you know, as long as they're washing their hands rigorously between um, residents or associates that they're screening, they, they, don't have, they don't even have to wear gloves, mm. right? But they, should wear, they can wear a mask. And the mask, for a while, people were thinking, oh, I've got to change it every time. I'll go through 300 masks a day. No, you can wear the same mask as long as it's not soiled or wet or contaminated. Mm -hmm. So there's little things like that that we're finding are really important to, again, to what's the evidence, what's the science around it, and what's colloquial or, or myth. And once you kind of That's separate those two out, we're finding there's, there's probably, we'll end up with more PPE on, in the end. Well, that is really, that again speaks to what we started with was your command center, having a source of communication that is speaking with one voice, mm -hmm. where you're actually having these conversations, deciding how to disseminate this knowledge to your workers and to your residents. And, and you're able to do that with technology and make it happen lickety split, on demand, really. That's... Um, that is amazing. That really is. We just don't talk to too many people with that kind of structure yeah. in place. So it's great to share this. We we consider you a bright spot. And that's one of the things we want to do is really share the bright spots with other communities so that we can all learn from each other. We have a question slash comment here for you, which kind of probably goes into our workforce. Um, have you seen you know staffing shortages because of how you're handling this current situation? We actually haven't. We've we've had. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I can talk in soft numbers, but we mm -hmm. 
we probably have had maybe over the course of the last two weeks, maybe a dozen or 14 associates that have surfaced as most of them are presumptive exposures, meaning that we've, we've taken the extra step to say, well, if you're not sure if that person that had lunch with you the other day came from the cruise, that was whatever, um, okay. we want you to stay home for 14 days track your temperature. So mm -hmm. we haven't had it. We have, the abundance of caution that we have put in place has not dried up our workforce by any means. Oh, that's good. Okay. That's yeah. great. An interesting dynamic though, you hit on a good question, Francis, with um, what has come up recently has been other communities have asked me the same thing. Like, what are you doing when you have a, an associate that works up the road at a hospital or another place? So we actually had to, again, as I referenced, that, that surveillance document is a, a living document we have to modify. So we modified one of the questions because one of the questions was if you took, if you were around somebody with COVID or a respiratory illness, you can't come to work, right? Presumptively you were exposed. But then we started thinking, what if I'm a nurse and I used all the right PPE and I took really good care of and I washed my hands, didn't touch my face, all the things that you know we've put into place for preventive measures, you're actually safer than the average person who leaves the campus and stops the Starbucks mm. with no PPE. So yeah. we had to really think that one through carefully because in future state, we could find ourselves saying, well, we have COVID, maybe at some point we'll have COVID residents to take care of. Uh, right. the, the local governments might say, you have to take X amount to patients, right? right. We're, we're doing a whole pandemic preparation for that side of it as well. We're actually looking at future state policies and practices for the what ifs. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great. Great. So how are you managing your workforce with remote? I know you're remote and not sure. everyone can be. So yeah, it's yeah, a great question. That. You know, it's interesting too, Kathy, that uh, a word that you hear in the press and we've had to change the paradigm around that. And you hear a lot about essential, essential visiting, essential, whatever, essential supplies, essential workforce, you know, who's essential, who's not. And that's, Typically, that's been a government term, mm -hmm. and we've taken a different, we've adopted a different posture or view of that, and we're saying everybody that works for Asbury is essential. It, we're looking at the functions now as mm. the function essential, and I'll give you an example. There might be two or three extra people who work in the kitchen that if you said, well, are they essential today? They might not be, but maybe we can, with a little education, we can have them help us do feeding on residents oh, yeah. that we've now isolated in their room and then and are socially isolated and lonely because they we've locked down visitors. So we're, we're looking at that whole paradigm and saying, let's call the function essential, not the person. And again, it goes back to the culture. Every associate. And yeah. Then, yeah. Before we, we say, don't come to work, we're thinking, Hey, you know, you do this, but maybe we can use you for that. Yeah. Or can you contribute you over here? You in a, right. Yeah. Um, to get more coverage. So you, you're yeah. reallocating and, and educating your workforce. Mm -hmm. And right. at the same time, reminding them that they are essential to your organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And showing them that through action by educating yeah. and allocating them. Exactly. And, and they feel there's a sense of worthwhile. 
being 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 worthwhile and being valued. Isn't that what we all want in life? Mm -hmm. That that is what we all want: a sense of purpose and a sense of being valued. It it goes right to the heart of our mission. You know, we're telling them do all the good you can for as many as you can all the time. So that that doesn't feel right if you say, but today you're not essential, so we don't need you. (laughs) I think we're we're learning too with this pandemic of of how we truly look. I think you hit the nail on the head. Essential doesn't necessarily mean the person. It could mean the job role that day. And I think a lot of times we too often associate the person, you know, as being not essential if that role isn't essential. And I think that's something we're learning here in this pandemic of, well, no, everyone's essential. It's how do they have to shift that role today to add value back that day because we have an overload of X or Y. Exactly. No, you're, you, you're, you're precisely right, Francis. That's, it's, again, it goes back to, for me, it's do all roads need to lead back to our mission. Mm-hmm. So you know, We start there and we end there. And, um, you know, again, we look at every every resident as essential wherever they are on the continuum of independence to the most dependent. So we yeah. want to think of our associates the same way. Yeah, One other thing relative to the workforce, I'll share with you briefly was we found it really important with the ones that we do restrict from coming in for whatever reason. We've created a line list, and again, the beauty of the technology we have, we're able to create a tab. We have a lot of tabs for things right now, but we can go to a tab on the portal and each community with privacy can, can list the associate that we sent home for fever, for they just Mm. cruise or whatever, not just so that we can track them, which is really, really important, but that we can, we can touch base with them and say, how are you? You know, how are you doing? We sent you home last Wednesday. You had a fever of 102. Are you okay? How are how's your how are your loved ones? How is your family? So we're trying to, you know, again, make making sure we, we have a line of sight to the culture when we're asking these kind of plain tactical questions. Yeah, and taking care of your people when they can't be at work. Right, exactly. And reminding them. And my my guess, because my experience with uh, cultures like this that exist in the corporate world are is that when you reallocate someone, you educate them, you show them how valuable you are, that person is, um, you often find hidden talents, things that people mm-hmm. didn't know they love to do and they're really good at. And maybe when it's all over, you yeah, have- It just broadens your versatility. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's really neat. And one, you know, one area that, you know, I really think is really important here is you have this, you know, this point about the managing the the risk of social isolation, anxiety, loneliness. It sounds like you're not only being concerned about that for your residents, but even a little bit of your staff that's in this kind of presumptive unknown state with COVID. So can you, can you dive in a little deeper as to how you're, you know, you're, you're doing that? Yeah. um, I I think probably what has served us well with, with associates has been, uh, as I alluded to earlier, the communication, the letters that have gone out from the support center, where we've taken the data, we've kind of digested it, packaged it in a, in a compassionate, but in a scientific way. Here's you know, a letter from Doug, from our CEO, um, going out to all associates. With, we find that that brings a measure of confidence and comfort mm-hmm. to know that we have our hands on the wheel that we value you. That's why we're communicating to you. We, we, we love you. We want you to know that you are 
you have meaning, even though there might be a time where you can't work, you're valuable. Um, what we're what we're also doing is many of us are doing things maybe a little bit different one-off sort of approaches but it's all the same spirit for example we have an executive director who actually may have been in a, in a kind of a remote but possible exposure so i talked to her on sunday morning i said guess what it'd be best for you to stay home for 14 days mm. <laughs> you know, my approach with her is I just give her a ring in the morning. I say, hey, how are you doing? How's it, how is it looking out of your condo today? How's the cat? You know, something like that. Just keeping that connectivity. And of course, she's working full throttle from home as well, talking to her staff. But it's just that human touch. And that's what I would go back to what I shared earlier, that we don't want to, we're trying to move away from social distancing because that takes some of the, the heart out of it and it makes us a little yeah. sterile. So we're kind of looking at it as physical distancing, but boy, I still care about you and love you and I'm gonna call you and make sure you're okay. Yeah. With, with the residents, we've had a number of different, really a potpourri of approaches. We've had uh, staffs, families, we've had community clubs and things like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, schools, others writing letters, just anonymous letters and cards to our residents. Um, we're looking at how to use technology Skype, platforms, um, you know, uh, tablets, cell phones, things like that, wherever we can, because we want to be very mindful that this period of time of isolation, we know from even from scientific studies that people's immune systems are challenged by sadness and loneliness. Right. So we yeah. want to be very mindful that that our residents um, that they understand the isolation is a contagion isolation not a social isolation. So we're trying yeah. to do everything we can to keep that, keep their their stimulation and their engagement as, as best as possible. There's a couple of things I want to touch on there. One, I, I think that this might be something we want to really kind of push out there, the message that it's social connectedness, right. physical right. distance. Exactly. And that's yeah. what you're saying. Let, let's practice. I like that term, yeah. It is, because it, once you break that connection, and you amplify that with a, a physical barrier, it can really lead to depression. Yes. Yeah. Even for someone that's not in a in a in a, uh, a, a an aging community, because you know we're seeing a lot of these stay in place orders, and right. you know that can really have cognitive effect, and you know both from depression, from anxiety, for mm -hmm. someone that isn't necessarily aging, that could be in their twenties, thirties, forties, and so I think what Catherine you have yeah. both said is it's social connectivity, but physical distance. Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes it gets lost by this, by what we're, the message that we're trying to portray. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, yeah. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. So um, what about your business objectives? What, yeah. what are you focused on during this time? What I meant by that was something that we've been um, really trying to promote with our communities that, Going back to the first opening comments I made about the three pillars upon which we rest and is animated by our mission, and that's the provider of choice, the employer of choice, and financial strength, we see those kind of three legs of a stool, if you will, or, or a triangle. They all have to stay in balance. Mm. So we can't, in the midst of a pandemic, say, well, we're not going to take any, we're not going to take any new admissions. We have to be good stewards of our, of our population 
especially our elderly population. We have to be good stewards with our referral bases. So we have to do our part to stay solvent so that we can be the employer of choice and the provider of choice. So in other words, we've been, we've been promoting this uh, sort of a circular approach. Do everything you can to bring in those that you can take care of effectively. Um, at the same time, you're helping your referral-based hospitals to decompress so they're in a position right. to take care of the sickest if it should, you know, say, really uh, increase, say, as a, as a wider pandemic in the region where we have a community. So we want to we keep those relationships and those pipelines open and basically just being good stewards of our community. You know, not saying no out of fear. So to that point, we, um, the clinical team, particularly Martha, our clinical neurospecialist, is working on sort of a portfolio of educational tools. How do you take care of respiratory patients that are going to be a little bit more challenging than the normal ones that you would have in a skilled nursing space? Mm. So we, we know we have to ramp up to that. And again, thinking out of the box, as Doug would say, you know, think forward, think quicker. We're, we're, we're not just coming up with, well, they're too sick, we can't take them. So we have to start thinking, okay, it might up our game a little bit. It might make us have to work a little harder, but think of the service we're providing to the community by being able to take those residents. And that's what we're giving the residents and a place to be cared for. And, and I think that's really what I'm honestly concerned with is that in, in Colorado, I'm hearing more and more facilities that are basically saying, I'm not taking any new admits and that really concerns me because I think if you're part of the healthcare sphere, whether you're a hospital to an independent living, to assist living memory care, skilled nursing, we're part of this continuum of healthcare and we have to support each other. And if the hospitals get backed up or the skilled nursings get backed up because the ALFs and the you know MCs and everything right. have stopped taking it, we're actually doing a disservice to the community as a whole. So your message, I love that message that we've got to be in this together and in this together is stepping up our games as providers to do more and think outside that box to help mitigate whatever overload or burden our hospital system could face. Yeah. In fact, you know, Henry Mooring, our, our senior vice president for healthcare services and post-acute has done a great job. He's taken the lead right now on how can we prepare our communities both physically and, you know, and on a tactical level to get ready for taking more acute residents. I'm partnering with him around the clinical side to say, all right, well, we might have to come up with more job aids, more tutorials. Um, we do a lot of the podcasts. Our clinical nurse specialist has already done three or four podcasts, even on hand hygiene, hand washing, things like that. And we're posting them for people. So it could be something as basic as suctioning or auscultative yeah. breath sounds, things that we maybe don't do every day in the long-term care space, mm -hmm. now is a chance for us to shine. Hmm. Now is a chance for us, like yeah. Francis, to, you know, to, to not say no, but to say yes when we can do it safely. and uh, uh, Of course, yeah. I think the worst position to be in would be to say, no, 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 we can't take that. And then when this will come to an end, when this comes to an end, we've, no, we've kind of closed the door on our, our referral base. We've lost a good friend. That's so true. But I think it's even besides losing a good friend, you're doing, you're not following your mission. You know, as you get into this space because you want to help, right? Mm -hmm. Not you, know, you want to be 
a tool, a resource for those that are aging or those that are sick that need just that little extra assistance to, to get back on their feet and have that independence they once had before. And, and I think, yeah, you obviously would probably burn that bridge a little bit with that referral source. Right, right. But more importantly, what message are you projecting to the community? Oh, I'm only going to do this when it's easy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to challenge my team, myself to do more in a safe manner, in a better manner. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, I think what you're doing is these it's inspiring in all honesty. Well, I'm I'm fortunate to have a great team, great leaders to work for and work with. Um, It's like I shared earlier, the culture at Asbury, um, there's an expression that Sue DeCamera, chief operating officer always says, which really resonates because I've built my whole career around what I call shared governance or shared Mm -hmm. participation. And her, her expression is, go to the people who are closest to the problem and listen to them. You know, and so that's really been sort of a guiding light for us to listen to the people who are in the trenches. You have to give guidance and direction and sometimes hard decisions, but you have to listen. And I think if anything, the culture that we we have at Asbury is one of, of listening and digesting their thoughts and ideas, not always agreeing, not always saying, oh yeah, you know, you can have the Maserati. Might have to just be a Volkswagen this week. But the most <laughs> important thing is to engage them and to, and I think it's that kind of workforce right. and that kind of mindset from where I sit is is going to get us through this pandemic. Yes. As a team, as a family. That's beautiful. So that's a good, a good time for me to ask my wrap-up question, mm-hmm. which I'm asking of everybody. Sure. So standing one year from today, what would you like the world to look like through our learnings from this pandemic? Uh, I think probably for for me, and and I think I can speak for Asbury, is that we faced a challenge. We faced it head on and we we had hope. We we animated our hope with, with good science and we tried to, you know, synthesize that. And we never gave up. Oh, I love that. Never give up. Right. Never give up. That's awesome. wonderful. Yeah. Skip, thank you so much. If people want to learn more about Asbury, where can they find information? Uh, you can go to asburycommunities.org on, on the web and find you can see all of our communities listed. Um, if anyone has an offline question, feel free to share my email address. I'm happy to sure. talk with, share with anyone what we're learning and, and pass it along to, to the leadership team that I work with. That's Here really great. So we'll put all that Mark. in the comment section. For yeah. Everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that, that, that willingness. Yeah, and to our audience out there, take advantage of this. This is a culture of people who want to collaborate with you. So please take advantage of it if you have questions. We want to learn from you as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. we're we're really hungry to learn and share what we, we know as well. That's wonderful. Skip, thank you so much. We appreciate you and we look forward to speaking with you again sometime in the future. Yes. Get an update. My pleasure. Nice meeting you both. Thanks yeah. for your time and absolutely talk to you, you soon. Well. Thank you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.